The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching us on YouTube, please go ahead and smash that like button like you're Brandon Davies. You, you have consent, and if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. The CBS Sports Classic was held this weekend inside New York's Madison Square Garden. With that in mind, trivia time. 20 I'm minutes, just, let's I'm go. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not starting with another 20-minute trivia time. Instead, we're going to start by asking uh, Norlander for his thoughts on the CBS Sports Classic since he was there to see both games. First, North Carolina 89, Ohio State 84. That was in overtime. Then UCLA 63, Kentucky 53 in regulation. Let's start with that second game. UCLA improved to 10-2, and two, extended his winning streak to seven games. Norlander wrote about it and more or less used his column to fact-check Kentucky coach John Calipari. It did not go well for John Calipari. Deadleg, explain your perspective. Why did you use your column to call John Calipari liar, liar, pants on fire? I, you might be embellishing it just a little bit here, but he, he threw out a few quotes. <laughs> you know, he's talking off the cuff, but at a certain point with how Kentucky played this game, how it lost it. I just, I felt compelled to do a reset on, on a Kentucky team that I picked in the preseason to be the national champion this season. That's not looking so good for, for your guy right now. If you're watching live, you can see Nada brought up the, the column there. And as the column starts, Kentucky is going to have so many opportunities to eventually put this in the rear view and make it for the better, right? They're going to play in an SEC that's going to be loaded. It's particularly at the top. You know, the, the conference is going to get uh, many teams into the field and get them in with ease when you consider Bama, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi State's yet to lose a game. Auburn has a gaudy record at this point. There are other programs that have gaudy records. We don't consider them tournament teams yet, but maybe maybe Missouri, 10-1, and 1, gets there, right? Maybe LSU, 10-1, and 1, gets there. We'll see. Mike White's actually done a pretty nice job at Georgia. SEC is going to provide Kentucky with a lot of opportunities. But right now, UK is 7-3. and three. And against high major programs that has played, it's one and three. The one win came across the ocean 
against Michigan, 73-69. A fine win. Michigan's not a top 50 Ken Palm team right now. It's just it does not qualify on that level. And beyond and beyond Ken Palm to this point, the Wolverines haven't been performing well, period. They're 72nd overall at Torvik through the first six weeks of the season, only counting for in-season play, not adjusting for preseason bias there. So right now, Kentucky's not playing well. Offensively, it's regressing. Cal said, you know, we're a good free throw shooting team. You're not, man. You're in the 300s. <laughs> You're 66.3%. And the foul shots and the and the misses obviously didn't help the situation on Saturday night. They don't have my biggest takeaway, and keep in mind, you know, transparency for the listeners, I guess, but I wound up, you know, the, the plan going into the CBS Sports Classic is I was going to do my main column on Kentucky UCLA, no matter how it broke, and I do something shorter on Carolina, Ohio State. We will get to that game, but the nature of how Carolina won that game actually prompted me to write two columns. So I barely had eyes on the UCLA Kentucky game in the first half file just as the first half was wrapping uh, of, of Kentucky UCLA and then really dialed in on the second half. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot going on here. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I did not think that Kentucky would be still this problematic on offense. It did beat Yale in a, in kind of more of a tussle than was expected the week before. Oh, by the way, like you look at it and it's a, it's a 10 point win over Yale, but Kentucky fans who've been following this team, they know that that game should not have even been that close there from two point range. They rank 211th as we record this podcast there. The three-point shooting is decent. It wasn't there against UCLA, and it hasn't been there against Michigan State, Gonzaga, UCLA, and, and Michigan combined. The, the column details all of this, but the team against its four best opponents shot 29% from beyond the arc. It did not break more than a point per possession in three of those four games, and that's kind of the it's the target, if you will. If you get done a game and you're at 1.00 points per possession or better, you're mostly probably doing a good job. Worse than that, you're below the bar, particularly if you're floating with 0.90. And against UCLA, it was atrocious. Worst worst effort of the season by far. Kentucky was 0.79 points per possession. Six of 21 from three-point range. And they were not getting hardly anything from other than Chris Livingston, who played well. GP, it's a nice... It's a nice turn of events for for that. Livingston showed some some real flash, some good signs there. But Sheboy had eight points. Case and Wallace, seven points on two of 13 shooting. Uh, between Wallace... And Antonio Reeves, they were brutal, man. They were absolutely brutal in that game. So the point of the column was Kentucky still got time to get to get this right. Maybe it will. But 53 points against UCLA is disgusting. And Calipari, there's no reason we should believe him right now. He is he, and this is a thing that he has done plenty of times in years past. I get that. And sometimes there have been years where Kentucky might be a little bit skittish. First two, four, six, eight weeks of the season, we look up in mid to late February. Maybe they've got it going. We see, you know what? After all, this is a top 10, 12 kind of team. I think the team can get there, but the point is like, there's no reason to believe Cal at this point because the data is not backing up what he is trying to spin or at least was trying to spin on Saturday night. There's definitely enough talent, man, but the, Kentucky should not be this with the reigning national player of the year who, you know, a couple other media people there that were covering this game, they were just kind of like, what is it about Shibwe? You know, he's been good, but it's not, he's not, this isn't a continuation of a season ago. And I'm not trying to take anything away from UCLA. Bruins fans, you got a really good team, and we can make this a little about you as well. But frankly, the bigger story is the fact that Kentucky is 7-3, and three, and against the better teams it's faced, it has not, it has not stepped up. There, there is something miss with this team and it has to get this offense going because if it doesn't it will win games and get into the tournament 
but it will not be what it was projected to be. And that's a top 10, if not top five kind of team. They've got time to turn around. I'm genuinely interested to see if they can do it because you're not getting enough from CJ Frederick. You're not getting enough from, from Casey Wallace on the offensive end. Jacob Toppin is not the breakout player we thought he'd be. And I know for the Kentucky fans watching this, listening to this, I do know that this has been a frustration point. That's not even been building. It's been there. And after yet another loss, I'm going to look up this up while you uh, while you talk your GP. I think uh, Tyler Thompson from Kentucky Sports Radio dug up the stat. Their record against ranked opponents over the past four seasons has been uh, terrible, terrible, terrible. So the fan base in general, not that all of them are calling to be fire GP, but they are they are beyond done being patient with Calipari, considering how much talent's on this roster. A lot of stuff there. So um, I just thought it was hilarious. I, I, and I can't tell if it was hilarious just because it was hilarious or because I'd had a couple of uh, drinks at dinner um, after being on the sideline for Villanova St. Joe's. But just like reading Cal's quotes and then you would immediately come in behind him and be like, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> well, I was it was it was merely like I wasn't trying to uh, to completely just, you know, cut the legs out from under or anything. It was just kind of like, he said this, all right, let me go check it out. And then I was like, uh, actually, no, that's not the case. So I felt obligated to the readers to, to be as honest as, uh, as the, you know, the available information called for this. It, it's it. The, and I think among the reasons it made me laugh is because I don't know if you know this, but I was uh, a John Calipari beat writer for four full-time seasons. And I have a lot of experience with no, this. No, no, no. I have a, a lot of experience with this stuff where and like we all have our things that we do, right? Whatever they are. And just so we're clear before before I start this, John Calipari is a Hall of Fame coach with a national championship. He's a, a born into a middle class family and has made a bazillion dollars in his chosen profession. It's an amazing story. That said, he does have a habit, and this dates back forever, of just saying things. And it doesn't matter if they're true. And I don't know if he's in, in fact, I don't think he's intentionally lying because like, he just says things. You know, we all know have people in our lives who just say things and you're like, eh, is that right? And then you go look it up and you're like, eh, it wasn't right at all. There are like, I have countless examples of this. Uh, of And some of my favorites, one of the things when he was the coach at Memphis, he would say this all the time. He would say, you know, people talk about our conference affiliation, but the truth is we play more games on national TV than anybody. I mean, we play more games on TV, national TV than anybody. And it just became like a thing that, that, and then the fans would repeat it. You know, we play more games on national TV than anybody. And then finally one day I, I just decided to go look it up and it's just not even close to true. Like they just didn't play more games on national TV than anybody. And he would say things like, you know, we have the nicest practice facility in the country. And like, I don't know any better. I, at the time I was a beat writer. I'd never been to another practice facility in the country. And then I got the job at CBS and I started going around to other practice facilities like Florida and Ohio state and you name it. And I was like, Memphis doesn't have the nicest. And he, he is not, by the way, he's very much not saying that about Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, he, no, <laughs> he's, he's ditched that one. He no longer yeah. says that. Okay. No, but here, here, here's my favorite. So there's one time, and this is when Chris Massey is on the team. He was a junior college player, um, older guy, in, like great college basketball player. And like an undersized big, traditional undersized big. And at one point in the season, you know, it's a media scrum. And John's like, uh, he says, uh, you know, people don't even realize it, but like Chris Massey is shooting 71% from the film. And like, if he keeps this up, he's going to break Bill Walton's record for single season field goal percentage in the history of college basketball. Nobody's talking about it. And I was like, geez, I'm the beat writer. Like, how am I not on this? 
So I'm like, I drive home and I'm like, I call my editor and I'm like, hey, I'm working on a story. Chris Massey, you know, shooting 71% from the field. It's gonna, if he maintains it, he's going to break Bill Walton's single season record. And they're like, oh, wow, that's a great story. I was like, yeah, I'm on it. Get home. First off, he's not shooting 71% from the field. It's like 64% from the field. Well, that's a statistically a significant gap, just so we're clear. Whatever, whatever, and whatever he's shooting will not even be top 10. Does Walton the, even own the record? And Bill Walton doesn't have the record. Like, n- literally no part of it was true. N- none of it was true. <laughs> and so I'm just like, oh, so I got to call my boss back. And I'm like, all right, look, you remember I told none of that is true. He's not shooting this. Bill Walton doesn't hold the record. Just scrap that. I'm going to get you something on something else. One year, I think this was like 2007, they had enrolled a freshman. Donnell Mack had initially committed, maybe even signed with Florida, Billy Donovan. Uh, they had a numbers problem there. They basically released him from his letter of intent. He landed at Memphis. Wasn't getting a lot of playing time his freshman season, and I'm assuming he was not happy about that or people around him weren't happy about that. So one day, just randomly, media scrum, John's like, um, <laughs> again, people don't even realize it, but Donnell Mack, like, he is leading the nation in points per minute. I mean, everybody focuses on points per game, and that's fine because that's what, you know. But points per minute, Donnell Mack is leading the nation in points per minute. People don't even know. I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to go home and, first off, Kevin Durant was leading the nation in points per minute, all right, by a wide margin. And Donnell Mack wasn't even leading Memphis in points per minute. Again, none of it was true. So that's partly why I was chuckling when reading these quotes last night because it's like it's it's – it's exactly how he talks about things. One thing he did say that is kind of true is that they are a good three-point shooting team in the sense that they shoot 38.1% from three. That's top 40 in the country. I'm, I'm comfortable calling that good. The issue with that is that they don't shoot them. They barely shoot them. Um, only 33% of their field goal attempts come from beyond the arc, according to Ken Palm. That ranks 293rd in the country. And I just fun, and I know there's a counter argument in here somewhere, and maybe the truth is in the middle. Like, hey, Bozo, if we got Oscar Shibway, what do you want us launching all these threes for? I got it. Okay. On some level, I got it. But I think the thing that would be frustrating for some Kentucky fans, maybe lots of Kentucky fans, is that John, and I say this respectfully, I'm not sure he's ever modernized his offense the way some coaches have. Um, and, and, and th- th- this this team is a is a good example of that. They actually do make a good percentage of three pointers when they take them. They just don't take them very often. And then I'm not going to go back to this over and over and over again. But once I notice something, I keep looking back at it to see if it changed or just I don't know. I become obsessed with it. And the free throw shooting is again a problem. And that's one of the points you made. Like. Um, he said, you know, we're not a bad free. The actual quote was, we're not a bad free throw shooting team. And you're like, yes, you are. And they are. They're shooting 66.3% from the free throw line, as you noted. That ranks 305th nationally out of 363 schools. And the the, the, the larger thing that stands out to me is they start three guards, Kentucky does. Xavier Wheeler, Kaysom Wallace, Antonio Reeves. Against UCLA, those three guys combined to shoot four free throws. Four. They were two of four from the free throw line. That's 50%, obviously. Only 15.4% of UK's points come from the free throw line. That ranks 290th nationally. So think about this for a second. You've got a team that doesn't shoot threes. 
Like when you don't, like I was on the St. Joe's Villanova game and there were you know, very few fouls. At one point in the game, you know, I'm, I'm doing the game with Tom McCarthy and, and Steve Lapis and somebody noted, uh, one of them noted how, how few fr- uh, fouls had been called, how few free throws somebody was shooting. And in the obvious explanation, I think Lap pointed it out, was like, you know, they're not shooting, you know, they're just shooting, everybody's shooting threes. It was interesting because I'm, I'm sitting there doing a game with two uh, the two coaches involved are Jay Wright disciples. They both worked for Jay Wright at Villanova, Billy Lang at St. Joe's and Kyle Neptune, of course, at Villanova. And so, the, you know, the offenses, I don't want to say they look exactly like Jay's, but like it's a lot. It, both of them shoot a lot of threes, both ranked heading into the game top 25 in the country. And the point Lap made was like, you know, you got two teams that shoot a lot of threes. There's not going to be a lot of free throws attempted. Well, here's a Kentucky team that, doesn't shoot a lot of threes and doesn't get to the free throw line. And that's a fundamental flaw in the way you're playing. Like if, if you've got one of the best bigs in the country, the reigning national player of the year and multiple five-star guards who aren't shooting threes regularly, at some point you should be getting fouled by people. You should be getting to the free throw line. And that's really not happening for them. And on the list of things that are problematic about this team, um, that, that's on there somewhere. Big picture, like you said, um, you know, th- we're, we're only 10 games into this thing, but 10 games into this thing is 32% of the regular season. And it's not like they've gone out and lost to bad teams. So if you're looking for positives, that's one. They haven't gone out and lost to these bad teams, but they really hadn't beaten anybody any good. And every time they played somebody good, it's been, it's been a struggle. And that is not what you expect from that program, from that coach, and from a team that was literally ranked Number one at Kempom in the preseason. Yeah, and they got it. I mean, it was close. They uh, was it Wheeler that had the last bucket? Four and a half minutes to go, they cut it to two, and then didn't score again. And UCLA just you know, UCLA won by ten. And as I wrote in the column, UCLA deserved to win by double digits because they were that much better. Uh, Tyler Thompson's stat uh, from Kentucky Sports Radio: Kentucky's four and thirteen versus ranked opponents since the start of the nineteen twenty season. Again, four and thirteen. Kentucky is against ranked opponents so the the longer running thread there is that uh and that doesn't that doesn't account for postseason stuff right uk was a nine win outfit two years ago which just is just should never happen at kentucky and then lost to st peter's in the tournament as a two seed um but it's it's telling you that in the, the highest profile games before we get to postseason play kentucky overwhelmingly is not performing recently and so this is this is a frustration that is that is certainly continues to build and build and build. We'll see if they get it back together. I think they I think there's a chance they can do it, but they're just not delivering on what Cal said they were. And then just real quick, because I talked with you know I talked with Mick after the game one on one for about ten minutes, and uh, first of all, he was in uh, <laughs> he was in a hell of a mood, like a, a hell of a great mood after you know obviously you you go on the East Coast, you destroy Maryland, and then you you went over Kentucky. Now you're ten and two. And I mean, Hawkes was awesome. Jalen Clark had 15. Tiger Campbell had 15. He's talking about how he's about to go back, fly cross country, grill out 75 degrees on Christmas. He was like, he was in rare form. It was, it was actually great to see Mick Cronin loving life the way that he, uh, that he does as the greatest coach in UCLA basketball history. But what he told me was with Hawkes, Clark and Campbell specifically, those, those veterans, two seniors and a junior, uh, you know, he, he, he just brought up how, genuine they are as friends and you hear this from coaches from time to time and you know it's not it's not rare it's very common but 
each of those players brings something different. And like Tiger Campbell is one of the most dependable point guards in the sport. And Hawkes has a genesis qua about his game that I just don't think you find in a lot of other players. And Jalen Clark, when he's really engaged and he's deployed correctly, can be among the most dangerous defenders in the country. Overall, each of their individual games, like there's not a lot of absolute pop there, right? You're not seeing stuff that's going to make them uh, have to be a first or second round pick and, and necessarily see major success at the next level. They're still in college. They've, they've spent three, four, five years. We get all that. But because of how experienced they are and how close they are off the court, uh, he just said it's just it, it brings this team to another level. And it's why he still has a lot of confidence that they'll be able to sustain consistency as a team throughout the season and then once they get to march he's got he's got a lot of confidence because you got david singleton he mentioned to me uh provided singleton stays healthy i did not realize this and the covid bonus here helps this but he's going to play more games in a ucla uniform than anyone in in the program's history there so a lot of experience to go along with amari bailey who's gotten who's gotten better although he wasn't a big time factor and adeem bona wasn't a big time factor in this game they didn't need him to be um hell mac etn had a couple of plays on on Sheway that were kind of like whoa <laughs> like what's going on out there so good good gains for the bruins who have not lost since playing two competitive games but losing against illinois and baylor back in vegas and corona was just like hey if we're, if we're just a little bit better more consistent on defense in either of those games like we pick off one win we didn't get it since then they've been terrific they've got one more non-conference game this week against uc davis before starting pac-12 play in earnest on december 30th against wazoo did you see joanna joanna Lea at the garden did not. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. That's disappointing. I'm sorry. I have no, I have no reports on that. Uh, Mick Cronin, um, just on the list of things he's now done that John Wooden never did. Um, he uh, beat Maryland and Kentucky in the Eastern time zone uh, by a combined 37 points this past week. That's 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 something that's on Mick Cronin's resume. John Wooden. I mean, facts are facts. Never did that. But Nell can stay. Nell can stay forever. But we do need to stay in that court. UCLA, um, and I do want to spend just a couple of minutes on them because they're putting together um, a, a pretty nice uh, season so far. You know, they had those weird, not weird, they, but they lost back-to-back games to Illinois and Baylor at one point. And you're like, all right, what's going, you know, how good are they? You could quite, but since then, they've now won seven straight games. Um, murdered Maryland. I mean, didn't just beat them, killed them, destroyed Xfinity. People walking out of there, switching to C Spire, then beat UK by double digits. They're now fifth in the net, third at Ken Palm, second at Torvik, fourth in Sagarin. So like top five in most computers, but they do have still zero wins over top 30 net teams. So they don't have, I mean, a, a win in the garden on CBS over Kentucky is a big win, but Kentucky's sub 30 in the net right now. So they're missing some big wins that would shoot them up into the, you know, top five or even top 10 of the top 25 and one right now. But, um, you know, 10 and two through 12 games and really playing well right now. Um, Mick Cronin, unsurprisingly, has himself another what looks like a legitimate final four contender. The other game in the CBS Sports Classic, it, it was the more entertaining game. North Carolina beat Ohio State in overtime. We're going to get to that next, but first, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, 
technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do-average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. A reminder, if you want, you can now email the show, shouts2cbs at gmail.com, shouts2cbs at gmail.com. We are loving the responses we've gotten, the emails, the correspondence, the questions. Continue sending them. You can send in a video if you'd like, 10 to 15 second video, ask a question, name, city, town, get out. We'll try and drop those in going forward on the show, on the YouTube channel. Continue to send us stuff. We love hearing from you. And thank you, as always, for subscribing. If you're watching on YouTube, you just saw a Nickelodeon NFL uh, uh, clip promo. Like, I, I walk through the CBS Broadcast Center when they're getting that studio ready. Boy, it's a scene in there. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it's something else. If you've never watched that, uh, we don't have to extend the promo. But it is a cool uh, watch is. designed to, to bring younger people in. So, uh, yeah, check that out when you get a chance. The other game, CBS Sports Classic. Uh, like I said, the more entertaining game, North Carolina over Ohio State in overtime. Tar Heels seemed on their way to another loss, but then the legend locked down Leaky Leaky Black. He got a pass to Pete Nance, nailed a jumper at the buzzer, and I mean, boy, at the buzzer <laughs> yeah. to force OT. Like, you know, you slow it down. It, it was in his hand with one left and got out of his hand just barely before it hit zero. So that forced overtime. Then North Carolina scored the first points in OT and led the final 431 to record um, the Tar Heels' first big victory of the season. You saw it in person. How wild was that Pete Nance buzzer beater that forced OT? Okay, so a, a few things here. Um, yeah, the, 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 by the way, the environment in the garden for the CBS Sports Classic was terrific. And... I think the well, first of all, Hubert Davis, who obviously was drafted the Knicks, and he said this again after this game, he's going to try and get Carolina in not in New York City in the garden every season going forward. We'll see how successful he is in that. But I think it's UNC. They should be able to do it minimally on an every other year basis. And, uh, you know, just hearing from a couple of fans and, you know, people with these programs like they want to get the CBS Sports Classic in that building, like minimally on a once every three year rotation going forward, I think. And that would be uh, selfishly. I'd love that because it's just a train ride down for me. Um, obviously, they got to cater to all the fan bases. So maybe you do like a Vegas for UCLA, Midwest for Kentucky, Ohio State, and then Carolina wants to scoot on up to the garden. But uh, all four fan bases represented decently well. Clearly, Kentucky and Carolina took over that building more so. And it was an awesome, awesome, awesome environment in that building. Really fun uh, pair of games there for the CBS Sports Classic. I will say, um, Ohio State losing this one. And I talked to Holtman after. Like, you could just see the regret in his face. But... He said that over the he's done he's done the data, done the research, and for him and how he's done this, because you had Justice suing initially on Leaky on the inbound, and then he turns his back to, to guard it. Said we we've, we've been way more successful actually not guarding the inbounder throughout it. And uh and so I don't know if you if you really had him do it again, if he would 
stick with the same thing, but he told me it's just the statistics of what they've done and what they studied with his teams. It has been the more successful way of actually not guarding the inbounder. Go ahead, GP. One thing I'll say on that is that, um, first off, there is no definitive like data on I'm not. I'm not questioning Chris. I want to back that up. I, like the idea that people say you got to do this or you got to do that. I don't think. I don't think it's convincing in any direction. The truth is in basketball and all other sports. Sometimes just things happen. You know, they just happen, and it doesn't matter which way you were trying to do it. There's these things happen. In this particular case, um, Leaky sort of threw the ball high, obviously, because he threw it. I mean, mm-hmm. across the court. I don't know how much a. Uh, Guy on the inbounder impacts that pass on that moment. Maybe it does. I, I, Maybe. I but it wasn't like you know you would have had somebody here, 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 and then and and they could have caused. Pro- if you're literally just going to throw the ball high into the air, I don't know how much somebody bothers that. If you put them in Leaky's face, I mean, Leaky's, Leaky's a big guy. I don't think I don't think he's bothered by the way he threw that pass. I don't think somebody on the inbounder would have bothered him or, or impacted that that pass very much at all, if at all. Agreed. Uh, okay, so as for the down the stretch, first of all, final 210 of regulation, Carolina and Ohio State combined shot seven of nine from the field, and the seven baskets were made by six players. It got really, really good. And then Bryce Sensabaugh, first of all, Zed Key hits a wide open three from the top of the key. It was, I think he had made four total this season going in, but he was so open he had to take it. And then uh, I think Baycock gets the bucket on the ensuing play. And then Sensabaugh hits a shot from about 10 feet over Leakey's arm, two seconds to go. You think Ohio State's got it. And to that point in the game, like Ohio State had been, I think, the better team. Baycott was late arriving in the first half, but then he had a season-high 28 points. And Caleb Love, like he, you know, he, he, as always is the case, he probably had four to five shots that he just should not have taken. But he's trying to either get Carolina back into the game, get himself back into the game. Uh, and there were shots he made that, that you know, certainly helped the cause. But as we got toward the end of regulation, it just felt like Ohio State kind of deserved the win, so to speak, based on how both teams had played. And then you have this play, and I did, I, I wound up, you know, going back, talking in the locker room, and just seeing what I was going to get. Right, I want to do a, a catch up with with friend of the pod, Leaky Black, of course. And but Armando Baycott was the first player I talked to before any like you know Hubert hadn't gone into the post game press conference or anything like that. None of that stuff had happened yet. Carolina just opened his locker room really early. And then that's when Armando Baycott told me I didn't like the play call. It was something that Jeff Lebo or Coach Lebo saw on television or something. It was like a middle school kind of play. I didn't know if I'm all paraphrasing here. Some of the direct quotes are in the are in the story, but didn't think it was going to work. Didn't know if it was going to work. We had never pl- practiced it before. I was like, wait, you hadn't practiced it? He's like, no. I was like, you'd never you never even done this play. You'd never done the play that 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 Nance shot. He's like, didn't know it. Didn't know what it was. They they drew it up real quick. So I talked to Baycott, then talked to. To Nance, and then that's like his go-to. Like you know, he's 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 a he's a stretch stretch four, right? Stretch four five, and he loves he loves a nice little nineteen foot fadeaway. Got more power to you. It's not the most efficient shot, but he said that's just his go-to there. And then Leaky, who said he was you know feeling like borderline in tears after giving up the bucket to Sensabaugh to that gave Ohio State the lead. He knew he was inbounding no matter what. But before all of that. Hubert draws up the play to get the ball from Leakey to RJ Davis at half court, which I have to mention because if you don't do that, we don't even have this moment, right? It was a very, UNC had two timeouts. They had two in the pocket uh, and it wound up meaning something uh, very important there. So they get it to RJ. He takes one step timeout. You're at half court. You give Leakey the chance. He knew he was inbounding no matter what. And then 
just completely fascinating, man. I love these kind of stories where if you if you're watching right now, the play is right there that was given to me by the UNC staff afterward. This is the this is a reproduction. Obviously, the first one would have been on the actual whiteboard. But RJ Davis is in the corner. He's a decoy. Now they they predict, and Holtman told me after, like you either think it's going to Baycott or it's going to Caleb Love. Two leading scorers, two prime guys. So they run a decoy flare action with Baycott to thinking that it's going to be for Caleb to come closer to Leakey to get a shot. That would still be difficult, but they think that's what it's going to be. Pete Nance's role in this whole thing is to stand opposite court and look bored, look disinterested <laughs> like you're not even in the play. Play dumb. Sensabaugh, coincidentally enough, who had just hit the shot, is put on Nance. Now, Leakey told me that after they got out of the huddle and Lebo had done this play, and credit to Hubert Davis, by the way, for it. This is actually what a good head coach does. You have your assistants. Lebo's a former head coach. When the time calls for it, don't be afraid to let him use the whiteboard. That's exactly what Hubert Davis did. I actually think it's a really awesome moment by him. But Leakey goes to Armando, and they're like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. He's like, listen, if that if we're not feeling that, just you make a pivot here. I'll get the ball to you. We'll see what we can do. So they almost audibled out of this, actually almost defied their coach's instructions. But Nance is on the opposite end of the floor, and he's not trying to give up give up the gig here. And so he realizes the sense of balls on him. He knows he has the angle, so he look he just flicks. He tries to like not be obvious, but he just gives Leaky the the very slightest like nod of the head and the eyes, just like just a quick flare of his eyes. And in that moment, Nance doesn't know for sure. Like he probably thinks the ball's coming to him. But he doesn't know for sure, and he sure I don't even know if he knows that Mondo and Leaky were were saying what they were saying. Sure enough. Leaky, it's it is a perfect parabola, man, and that and, and Nance on the the catch and the gather, it, it, like he got it off, but it was almost like an old man get out of a chair, man. Like it, he took his time and it just got off, smooth, smooth bucket to tie it. Carolina uses that in overtime momentum. They get the win. As I wrote in the story, I don't know if this is going to be the thing that will like put Carolina's season on an altered trajectory, but if it does, this is going to be a pretty big moment and a pretty awesome moment. The fact that the play that got them to OT, this is the last part, then I'll shut up and GP can take it. Lebo saw Penn State run this in an overtime game against Clemson earlier in the year on TV. Now, I tried to get Lebo to tell me what inspired him to even think this up in the moment like this wasn't premeditated uh he was demurring on that and wanting to give all the credit to hubert which i get so i didn't get the reason why he actually thought this might work but then i texted micah shrewsbury as i'm writing this story i'm like hey man carolina just tied a game just won a game and they did it on a play that you guys ran against clemson earlier this year um and actually this is this speaks to how these coaches know this stuff because i didn't know the game first and then i went to holtman i was like hey i don't know if you know this but they they tied it on a play that I think Penn State ran and Holtman's interrupting me. He goes, it was against, it was against, uh, it was against Clemson. Like even Holtman knew it. Oh, wow. Like, he didn't know what I was writing, but he knew that it was just insane that he knew this. Uh, but you're a coach, you see all this stuff, you know, all the stuff that uh, us lay people don't. So, and then Shrewsbury is like, it's not my play. Like I stole it from Brad, Brad Stevens. Because <laughs> he was on staff with Stevens. When they were when Stevens was coaching the Celtics, the play is called winner, and there's actually a secondary action to it that Carolina didn't need and didn't have time to use. But it is amazing that amidst all this stuff, the improv play, uh, Lebo, if he knew it, he didn't indicate. They didn't know they were actually they were taking something that was a that was a Stevens design, but that's the one that got it to OT. Carolina pulled away in overtime, and it got a, a really really big win. The the uh, the th you know. I 
for me, if you're looking for reasons to nitpick that final play in regulation, um, it's not necessarily, and this is real nitpicking, it's not necessarily uh, why not have somebody on the ball, on the inbound. Um, Bryce Sensible is terrific. I mean, terrific. Um, he's also five inches shorter than Pete Nance. Now, Nance, Nance did say it didn't matter who was on me. I know that shot. No one's blocking it. But you're right. But to Nance, he's like, I'm falling away. I'm like 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like the catch. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah the, I'm talking the, about the, the angle of the ball coming in. Yeah, fair. He threw it over Sensible to get it to Nance. And so th- that that is that's just something. On Sensible, by the way, um, I meant to look this up and I didn't. Where was he ranked in the class of 2022? I'll look it up right now. Um, he has been he, – he's a good one, man. Like, he's going to be in our top 101 players unquestionably next year. He's going to be in the NBA draft next year. I, well, that's the thing. Like, he's <laughs> – they're, they are leaning on him. He was 64th overall. Four-star player, 64th coming out. Um, it feels like this season there are more like impactful freshmen who were ranked lower than – and this isn't a criticism of anybody. This It's hard. You know, you take the top 15 guys in the country. Those are easy to identify. Once you get outside of that, it's, you know, a lot of the, the – you know, 64 and 34 look a lot alike. Um, typically, but it seems like whether it's the guards at Purdue or Bryce Sensabaugh or a Grady Dick, um, like there are guys who were rated a little lower um, than what their impact in their first season of college basketball suggests should have been the case. And Sensabaugh seems like an obvious example of that. He, uh, yeah, I was talking to a, a player agent who represents, you know, some big time players last weekend, and he told me that he saw Sensabaugh once and then called his guys, whoever his guys are, and said, get on him. <laughs> like, that's, that's, he, he's, the, the way it was phrased to me by the agent um, was if he stays in college two years, he'll be a top 10 pick. But, like, you know, he might not, he might not need to stay in college two years, but he was like, if he plays his sophomore season, he will be a top 10 pick after, after that second season. So he's, um, he's been, he's been terrific for Ohio State and, and made that big time shot to, to, you know, what, what looked like it, it could have been the game winner. Uh, beyond all that, the thing that stood out to me is this is sort of basketball. Like a lot of this stuff comes down to, you know, good fortune, bad fortune. Sure. And Ohio State's a great example of this. Look at Ohio State's last two games. I know, I know. They get lucky to get a win over Rutgers, yeah. and then they got unlucky and took a loss to North Carolina. It's tough. I don't want to say it always balances out. But but sometimes it does, and Ohio State's week was a perfect example of uh, of things balancing out. You they, that, like let's just call it what it is. They probably won a game they shouldn't have won, and then they probably lost a game they shouldn't have lost. Fair and valid there, Carolina man. They really needed that. We'll see how they do going forward. They've got Michigan next. We'll talk about the game uh, later this week on the pod. But that's a that's a big one and. Baycott told me, he said, he said, we were talking about it before you came in the locker room meeting the media. I think he was just talking about, you know, the 45 minutes that were played, the actual competition, how it felt to, to run up and down the floor for 45 minutes. He said that was the best game he had ever played in. Not the biggest. It wasn't bigger than any of the Duke games. They just went to the final, the title game and all that stuff. But I think, I think he means in terms of like 
competition going up and down. Now he could have been prisoner of the moment, but I actually thought that was pretty notable there that, uh, that coming off of that and everything that he had actually gone through, uh, and the pre in, throughout 2022, uh, that he said that. So big win for the heels and we will, uh, we will see where they go from here. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. So let's run through some other big results from the weekend because it was an awesome Saturday and really just an awesome weekend of sports, and we might touch on that at the end. Um, Gonzaga beat Alabama in in Birmingham. Uh, I think you called that. Arizona handled Tennessee inside the McKell Center. We both called that. Houston won at Virginia, just like both of us predicted. Kansas absolutely destroyed the internet in indiana beat the hoosiers by 22 points um thoughts and prayers to everybody in that wonderful state uh hopefully they get their internet back up you know midweek or something um for the final four and one picks i believe this is true i think you went five and oh i did i didn't but above 500 progress getting better that's right that's all we need to know i'm getting bad i'm getting a little better every day you know that's right. That's, that's all right. you really you want to do in life. Just get a little better every day. That's uh, that is correct. By the way, as we speak, Patino Bowl is over. Richard beats his dad. I believe that is the first time. Eighty-two seventy-four. New Mexico beats Iona. New Mexico remains undefeated with that. Undefeated. We had some undefeated teams go down this weekend. You just mentioned Virginia. We're going to get to them in a second. Obviously, UNLV loss, but with New Mexico getting this win, that means UConn, Purdue, Mississippi State. Utah State, New Mexico are your unbeatens uh, as of now when we are recording this podcast. Um, yeah, that was the first time Richard has beaten Rick. I think Richard was 0-2 lifetime against uh, Rick. So that's one of those interesting games where I don't know that many father and sons would want to schedule that because it's like if you win, you, you you either hurt your son or your dad. And if you lose, that sucks. And so um, I, think, I think a lot of coaches would just rather stay out of that for the same reason like you see a lot of coaches they don't want to play former assistants you know mm-hmm. they don't want to schedule like I, I i don't know that gonzaga arizona will schedule a home and home because i don't think mark and tommy want to want to do that but richard and rick did it and it got on tv and yeah, it was good stuff. i was watching it earlier like yeah and i think rick you know alluded to that like this is a game that will get attention get us on tv you know that's important but you could be skeptical of New Mexico's undefeated record, and you still can be skeptical if you want to. But that Iona, that Iona team's good. You know, Rick's amazing. And to be, you know, have a zero in the loss column on December 18th, 
I don't want to say regardless of circumstances, that's great. But like um, usually regardless of circumstances, that's 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 really impressive. And so happy for Richard to be off to this type of uh, type of start. And that's a that's a basketball program that's got some real strong tradition. I mean, that's that, you know, if you remember, I mean, at this point, it was a long time ago, but like they were really rocking and rolling at the near the tip top of the sport. And so to have that back um, as a quality basketball program is is cool. Circling back to the list of games we, we discussed, Gonzaga, Bama, uh, I noted Gonzaga, Bama, Arizona, Tennessee, Houston, Virginia, Kansas, Indiana. What was the most impressive? And I know like, look, I was working all day. You were working all day. Yeah, I know. Well, I tried, but I I watched most of Gonzaga Bama. I actually got into the city with enough time to, to actually take in some of that game and watch the end of it at the garden there. So Yeah, I mean, we were, like my point is we would be lying if we said we were in front of TV all day long because we weren't. Um yeah. you were at the garden and I was on TV. And so we didn't see every minute of all of this. I did, you know, settle into obviously I was back in my hotel room in uh Philly and was able to to settle in for for Arizona Tennessee and that was a, a a fun watch but a lot of this other stuff um you know i i was had it on my ipad had it on my phone um you know read all the stories but but like the idea that we saw every minute of it just you know it's not true but um but th- th- those were some some big notable results and um and and you know i think gonzaga had been questioned by some and so yeah. you can you can quiet that down a little bit by going to birmingham and beating alabama i, I don't think anybody questioned houston they was like they were up 15 um against alabama and then just you know it just it, basketball happened everybody knew houston was still good and it, i don't it, it wasn't surprising to me that houston was able to go to virginia and, and, and win that game indiana getting blown out at kansas anybody susceptible to that at that place I, I just assume because I really didn't punish Indiana too much in the top 25 and one for losing that game, even though the Hoosiers did lose it badly, because I just assume and I, this has been true for most of Bill Self's time there. I just assume if you play at Kansas, you're going to lose, you know, and, and so now let's just let's start debating how badly But I just assume you're, you're I just and it was bad. I mean, they, they got, got run GP. It was they like, got run. we don't even like 84 62. It was it was done. And I didn't see this part of it, so I went. I went back and I, I, I saw some of the stats there. It was just done early. Like Indiana was three of sixteen to start the game, and apparently they went one for six in the first half on layups and dunks. Again, one of six on layups and dunks. So Kansas has beaten his past four opponents by better than twenty-five points on average. Indiana is kind of about what I thought it would be going into the season. Like it's eight and three. Wins over North Carolina, Xavier, Nebraska. Those, those are the three best. Kind of flirting in that Kentucky territory just a little bit. Lost to Rutgers by 15. Got beat by Zona by 14 on a neutral. And then just got dro- dropped by 22. Like, all right. Like, give me like another four or five games and maybe we'll know a little bit more. To me, you know, I want to talk more about the other games just real quick on Kansas. Like, they're 10-1. and one, Lone loss. Like, they, they did get beat. And it was decisive against Tennessee. But it's all kind of coming together. Uh, they're going to be a little bit off the radar here. Like they've got home to Harvard. They won't play again until New Year's Eve, Oklahoma State. Then they're at Texas Tech the first Tuesday of January. So it's going to be about two weeks before Kansas really drifts back into being a talking point here. But they are a real outfit, man. Like Dewan Harris is among the best pass first point guards in the sport. Grady Dick is a high level scorer who has it. He has it. 
He has it, man. He's one of the best freshmen in the country, and he will be a weapon, and he will be a guy that can help push them to a high seed and deepen the tournament, provided everyone else around him plays well. And they're getting that. Jalen Wilson, multifaceted, like top 10 players so far in the country this season. And KJ Adams is becoming a better guy who's kind of broke out there. So, you know, I don't have a ton on Kansas, but I just at least wanted to acknowledge, because we have a good KU base that listens to us. Uh, I was impressed that Kansas didn't mess around, and it wasn't a six-point margin. They definitively beat the crap out of Indiana and made it a boring game. Dude, Kansas lost four of the top five scores from last season's team that won the national championship, and it doesn't matter. I mean, clearly it does. It matters. Like, I'm, I'm sure the Jayhawks would be better if they had Ochai Bocci back. But, like, dude, we did this internal poll at CBS Sports in the preseason where we said, hey, you, you got to pick one guy to run your program. Who you picking? And I believe the overwhelming winner of that. I know the winner of it, but I believe it was not particularly close. It was Bill Self. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just look at what he's done in the early part of this season. He lost four of five starters, and the team looks like a national championship contender. Again, keep in mind, they would have been the favorite to win it in 2020. They won it in 2022, and they look capable of winning it in 2023 with largely different rosters every time. It is, you know, somebody's in the YouTube comments now, and um, this is certainly the way my ballot was. I, I think it's the way your ballot was. Um, and I don't think it's really a debate. Bill Self is the best coach in college basketball. He just he just is. And for him to be able to do what he's done as consistently as he's done it for as long as he's done it and to be doing it again this season after losing four of his top five scores, it, it really is um, nothing short of, of amazing. He's I, I know he has his critics for all the reasons, but like – I'm telling you, if I had a basketball program and I needed to win, that's the guy I would want running it. He's he's incredible. We're going to pick up this conversation in a couple of weeks, but I think the win over Indiana got some people really to a place where it was not not tough to imagine, but coming off the win for the championship, losing everything they did, like, am I really going to put Kansas in that group of three to five teams that's going to win it? Like, are they actually going to go back to back? I think now a lot more people are open to that possibility than they were before. We'll get to that again in January. I do want to talk Bam or uh, Bam against Zag because I actually think Gonzaga was the biggest winner of the weekend. The nature of the win, where it got it, Alabama it, it, it got up big. Gonzaga got off to a start there. It was it was rough early. I think it was five of twelve from the field. Then got hot. That's when I really started. It made like 11 out of 13 shots over a, you know, like a seven minute run and then got cold again. Bama pulled, got out to a lead and then they went bonkers. Gonzaga did in the second half. Shot 74%, man. It was, this was a very good, and I mentioned on the Friday pod, just in terms of resume, if anything else, like when you look at what Gonzaga's done with this non-conference schedule, and they've got a couple other easy ones waiting for them here, but they're 12 games in. And the loss is at, at Texas, neutral to Purdue, neutral to Baylor. All understandable. Some Gonzaga teams in the past might have only lost one of those three as opposed to three, whatever. Michigan State, Kentucky, Xavier, Washington, a Kent State team that's still top 75 in predictive metrics. Good. And then not truly a road game because it, it wasn't at Alabama, but it's you're playing in Birmingham. Come on now. like And they're able to get it, and they drop 100 on Bama in doing so. 1.20 points per possession. Timmy goes for 29. Anton Watson was terrific. You had really nice moments for Hickman as well. And they were able to just storm over the tide in the second half. B 
Big win for Gonzaga. Don't know where this team will eventually get seeded, but I do know this. Getting that Bama Q1 win, it is going to mean something significant if they take care of business in WCC and get another respectable win. So, uh, you know, the UNC winning the way it did, they needed it badly, right? And Houston, who we'll talk about in just a second, that's an awesome, awesome road win. I just don't know if any program really improved its standing and, and uh, validated what we think it should or could be as much as Gonzaga doing this and like forcing Bama into 21 turnovers. And then Brandon Miller had 36. Like he had a, he had no freshman scored more in a game this season than Miller than what he did against Gonzaga. And yeah, sure. Is it a little bit of an indictment on Gonzaga? Sure. Whatever, man, they want to track me 190, really fun, really awesome basketball. Hell of a way to start the day on CBS there. You win the track meet. Miller's the best freshman in the country. You get the win anyway. That's a good one. And I tell you what, I'd, I don't know if Mark if you would say this on the record, but if you if you told him, I'm going to give you three losses in your non-con, or you chance it, I think he would have taken three because he had told me in Portland he had never scheduled overall non-conference. It's difficult. This had never had a year like this. I think there is a certain level of satisfaction knowing that barring you know something unthinkable here, they got to play Montana at home on Tuesday, and then they pick up with uh, with league play on New Year's Eve. Uh, he would have taken three losses because all three of them, they're all going to be quad one. Brandon Miller is another one on the list of freshmen I was talking about earlier. Um, looks like the best freshman in the country. Looks like a you know, top 10 pick, maybe top five. Ranked 14th in the class of 2022. He's been tremendous. He was tremendous. I, I think the other big thing that helps Gonzaga here, because like I, I've said multiple times now, um, as recently on Friday's episode, people hold Gonzaga to a different standard. We've reached a point where they're just held to a different standard. If they don't, I mean, we've reached the point where if they don't win the national championship, people go, ah, they see, they did it again. Didn't win the national championship. I mean, it's, it's bananas. Like to, 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 uh, to trash talk the Zach, this little bitty school in Spokane, Washington for not winning the national championship. is outrageous. But again, people are held. So when they lose three games, it's like, Oh, they stink. No, they don't. They, they're, this is still – I believe what I said on Friday was this is still one of the 20 best teams in the country, maybe 15 best teams in the country. And then they go out and, and get this big win over Alabama to sort of um, verify that. What helps them, in addition to just like getting the win, is that it happened literally the weekend after Alabama recorded a, a massive victory. So it's yeah. like nobody's questioning whether Alabama's good. Nobody's looking at that and going – Okay, yeah, but how good's Alabama? Like we know how good Alabama is. They're, they're like legitimately good. And then Gonzaga goes into its Alabama, the state of Alabama, and 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 handles the the Crimson Tide. And now, if you're a Zag fan, you're just sitting around. You know, you're rooting for Alabama to go win the the SEC, which is you know clearly in in the cards. I don't know that they'll do it, but but they're capable of doing it. And yes, um, you know, you, you don't want to have to score a hundred points to win a college basketball game. And I guess by definition, they didn't need 100. They could have done it with 91. But also, like, these are two get up and down the court basketball teams who are offensive. You know, uh, Alabama is good defensively, but both of these teams, uh, really programs, are offensive minded programs. And so that was a, that was a, a fun basketball game. I, I didn't see all of it because I was, uh, you know, we had shoot arounds and production meetings and all of that stuff. But what I saw was fun, and obviously the result is um, super encouraging for for Mark. And you know, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think this is one of his best Gonzaga teams. But I still think it's one of the 
15 or maybe even top 10 teams in the country. And if it is that, that's amazing. Like, think about what I just said. Probably not one of Mark Few's best teams, but still one of the best 10 to 15 teams in the country. That's That tells you where that program is now. Uh, real quick, Houston, Virginia. So Houston got it second. What's going to be a quad one, I would think. They won a road win. They've won at Oregon, and now they win at Virginia 69-61. And Reese Beekman did return. I was got an indication that would be the case. He actually wound up starting, played 34 minutes, coming off of injury. Wasn't impactful, though. Only had four points and uh, hit a three, hit a, hit a free throw overall. And Kihei Clark was also negated there. Uh, Marcus Sasser, by the way, Houston doing this, 69-61. Sasser was like pedestrian. Jarris Walker was a man. And I, the, I, I, I saw bits and pieces of this. So I'm also getting a little bit from, uh, from those who saw, the, who saw the game up close and personal there. But you get a little bit of everything from, from the starting five. You know, all five starters were uh, in double figures. And to go in to Virginia's house, and to me, GP, I just, I think Houston's better than Virginia. Not by a large margin, but I think they're better. They showed it. And the fact that they were able to do this, by the way, got their highest win. So Houston had never won. Virginia's number two in the poll. That'll change when they refresh Monday. Virginia, uh, Houston had never won in the regular season on the road against a team ranked as high as Virginia was at number two there. So a little, a little bit more history there for Kelvin Sampson. Uh, they have a way of, uh, of going about and doing that. And, you know, for a Houston team that's going to try, going to try, I don't think it's going to do it. It can. It's going to try and run the table in the American. If it does it, it's going to be a one. Uh, Houston could probably get to, I think Houston can probably get to March with three losses and get on the one line. It's got a really good chance by, by nature of this win. And I don't want to get too crazy with all turn. I know I've been, I've been talking some seed stuff on this pod. We're not out of December, but this is like, we're wrapping up non-con play. And when you really look at what Houston's been able to do here, 11 and one and given Virginia, it's first loss, just, you know, big gains there. And, I said on the Friday pod, man, they actually wound up winning this by almost double digits. If you just, if you tell me that Houston does not have a game decided by single digits again until <laughs> I'm looking at the schedule right now, man, they don't play. They, first of all, they don't play at Memphis till close out the regular season. They don't play Memphis period till February. They're at UCF in late January. We'll see. They're at Cincinnati. Not unthinkable the way the West Miller coaches like that's on January 8th. I don't know. There's a real chance here. We're talking about 11, one team right now that we're looking up and it's like a 23 and one team. Um, yeah, like nothing. My opinion, my ranking of Houston changed after the uh, loss at home to Alabama because it has to. Otherwise, what are you doing? You got to right. one of my go tos is like you've got to respect the results. It's where I would get when I would write that pull a text column. I would get frustrated with some voters because they would just literally ignore results, sometimes unintentionally because they just aren't paying attention. But other times intentionally just saying I don't care who won that game. I still think this team's better than that team. And I just think that's that's fine for an algorithm, but I don't think that's the way you should be ranking things if you're a human. Um, so my ranking of Houston changed after the home loss to Alabama because it has to. But my um, opinion of Houston as a basketball team didn't change at all. I just thought that they were playing another good team and sometimes stuff like that happens. Um, but but that's one. Houston's one of the best teams in the country and a legitimate national championship contender. And, you know, if you look at the Ken Palm projections right now, they're not going to be an underdog again, based on the current projections um, all the way through selection Sunday. Um, they're, 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 it doesn't mean they'll win every game, obviously, but they will be favored as currently constructed. They will be favored to win 
um, every game between now and, and selection Sunday. So, um, and that was a obviously big time win to go to Virginia and, and record that because that might ultimately, and as always, we'll see, but that, that might ultimately be a true road victory over the ACC champion. And that's obviously, if you're the AAC champion and you have a true road win over the ACC champion, well, that's a good place to start the conversation about your resume. Yeah, and last big game we obviously got to talk on is Arizona-Tennessee. Still one overall in offense and defensive efficiency overall at, uh, at KP right now. Uh, if you are curious, and even if you're not, by nature of Arizona winning this game, uh, I mentioned the previous seven times that it happened on the Friday pod where we're, since 2010 when the number one Ken Palm offense has faced the number one Ken Palm defense. The record now through eight matchups, offensive team, four wins, Defensive team four wins. They've actually split when this exact scenario has come up there by nature of Arizona winning 75 70. Uh, you'll recall I set the over under. I think it was 71.7 was the uh, was the difference between how much Arizona was scoring per game and Tennessee was allowing. Zona did hit the over. I want to, I think you said over and I think I said under. So I you said actually, over. I said over. That's a victory for me. Put it in the, put it in the final four and one stats. I don't think that's how that works. Um, Zona got all of its points from its starters. Larson, Tubelis. Tubelis had a team high 19. Creesa. Creesa got a tech. So I, I was in the garden riding on the train ride home. I caught this game as the second half was starting. So I, I, I wanted to watch in the second half. But as I was filing, I missed how Creesa got the tech. But I know he got a tech. He had he only had eight points. Ramey had 13. Balo, again, damn, he's he's really, really good. He had 18 overall. And then for uh for Tennessee. You know, Ziegler came. He had. A, I saw him hit a couple of big shots. He had 21 off the bench. Um, the fact that he did come off the bench, I thought was was interesting. We'll see if that's going to be something they stick with or not. Vescovy only had nine, and you know, Tennessee they put up a good fight, right? It was it was close, but Arizona gets the win, and those are a couple of teams that are Final Four hopefuls. There that went late into the night. I was thankful that it was that it was such a late tip, 10:30 Eastern, because of being in Manhattan and needed to scoot home, catch the end of that. I, I walk in my house and I knew what the score was, but. Uh, second half of that's about to start, and then and then we got the Bills Dolphins in the snow. Just an again, best awesome. sports weekend of the year. Okay, best sports weekend of the year, and we'll get to uh, we got to get out of here uh, talk World Cup before we do so. But Zona getting this one, it was a it was an awesome way to wrap up a Saturday night because I just I, I'm a sucker for a really like a good ranked matchup, top ten, top fifteen, top twenty game like past midnight on the east coast this one was good it was close arizona gets the win improves to 10 and 1 the only loss is to uh is to utah at this point overall so tommy lloyd gets it done there and uh not even needed to go deep into the bench so no uh you know no shame in tennessee losing the way it did it was able to actually keep it close but as predicted here on the pod wildcats cover yeah i didn't move tennessee at all in the top 25 and one i had tennessee 13th Heading into the game, I kept them at 13th after the game. I thought that was an encouraging performance from Tennessee. Like, I, I don't think anybody's going to win at the McKell Center this, this season. Like, literally mm-hmm. nobody other than Arizona. I don't think any visitors winning there. And so, um, you know, to go with it. Yeah, UCLA at Arizona January 21, if you're curious, if you popped in your mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just yeah, actually, I mean, just no, that that's the me. one. That's the one. If you were trying to point, like, okay, but who's got the best shot? I'd Obviously, I'd go with UCLA. But I, I, I will – Take, if you wanted to bet me a thousand dollars right now on that game, just the winner, I would take. Uh, I would take Arizona. I would take Arizona against anybody in that building. Um, um, the, I don't have it right in front of me, but the the, the graphic popped up um, on the screen last night at some point in the game. Um, Tommy Lloyd's career record now 
at Arizona. I can give it to you. It's outrageous. I mean, it's right. one of those things. Tommy Lloyd is Tommy Lloyd. So they won last night. So Tommy Lloyd is forty three and five. Like you know, he the record's unbelievable because he was a one seed last season in his first year as a head coach, and they're off to a great start again. But can we like stop for a second? Forty three and five to start your head coaching career is out is outlandish. I mean, that's crazy at the, at the high major level. Like yes. even if you got some dudes, it's at the high. It's there's occasionally like Brad Underwood when he started Stephen F. Austin, like he had it rolling. You do that at a, at a, at a power conference. Whew. I know. Like so, I like. He's been amazing. Like I, there was literally nobody I would predict to start their head coaching career forty three and five, and so when that popped up, I was just like, yeah, I, I, I knew it was something like that, but just to see it was like, what? That's crazy. So um, and it was a terrific game. I thought uh, obviously good showing for Arizona, but in, if you're a Tennessee fan, I'd be encouraged by that. Like you went in there and traded punches, figuratively, not literally, um, with one of the best teams in the country in a true road environment. And it was a terrific way to um, to wrap up that Saturday night. Like I was, you know, I was in Philadelphia um, hotel room and I had, you know, on my main TV, Arizona, Tennessee, uh, iPad, uh, Bills and Dolphins Dolphins in the snow, man. And then and then other screen um, Saturday Night Live. So I was like, I was, I was like, this is a great Saturday night. There's a different version of me that been like, all right, what are we getting into tonight in Philadelphia? And I was just like, I'm settled in, man. This is, this is great. And that might be a perfect place to transition into. We got to yeah, talk about the soccer game. Well, like, well, just for the whole weekend was like yes. incredible. You have the Colts blowing that like a record set record setting collapse. Okay. That was in the afternoon. Right. Or, or early evening i lost track of everything and then bills dolphins was a great game but also just visually awesome like just visually awesome to look at like especially when it started um really snowing pretty heavily uh late and then i thought they were going to screw it up when the the forgive me on the names i don't follow the nfl like that but like the fella the fella uh you know uh went down before going into the end zone to set up the field goal with like 35 seconds left or something. I was like, yo, isn't it smarter? Like I'm not a, you know, I'm not Bill Belichick, but uh, maybe just run that in and just trust well, that Yeah, they- no, you actually reduce your winning percentage because the clock can be used against you in that stand. In that, yeah. I, in, in a vacuum, I hear you in a snowstorm. I'm not so sure. Like, I don't know. And by the way, the kicker went out and like the, the offensive lineman cleaned off the field, which was awesome. Love it. <laughs> and then, and then the, the kick could not have been more perfect. I mean, it was yeah. right down the middle, but it was just, I was like, I don't know. You could have run into the end zone and just, just trust that the dolphins aren't going to go 80 yards on you or whatever, or you can trust a kicker in a snowstorm, but it worked out. So it was fine, but that was an awesome, like just the whole thing was awesome. And then uh, we wake up today and we get um, an incredible World Cup final. I mean, absolutely riv- so riveting. I almost missed my flight. I almost because I, I would thought not- you were going to be on your flight when this thing was happening. <laughs> okay, well here. Okay, so here's the. Here, I'll give you the quick version of the story. Um, when my flight for this trip was initially booked, I I didn't even look at it. I just was like. I sent in a flight and usually it gets booked exactly the way I send it in. I, I, I emailed our travel coordinator and I say, uh, Hey, um, here's a flight that makes sense for me for this, the, for this trip. Um, if it's, if it's good on your end, you know, that perfect. And 
usually it comes back exactly that. For whatever reason, I'm not even sure. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it wasn't. But I looked at my flight like middle of last week, and it was like I had a five-hour layover on today in Atlanta. And I was like, I don't need five hours in the Delta Sky Club in the middle of the day because I, I know what that leads to. And then you got me slurring on the podcast on Sunday night. So I was like, hey, can, can we get this flight changed so I don't have a five-hour layover in Atlanta? Because that's too much time to spend in Sky Club if you've got things to do the rest of the day. If you don't have anything to do the rest of the day, it's, it's perfectly enjoyable. But if you've got things to do, um, then you don't want to spend five hours in the Sky Club. At least I don't. I know myself. And so it was like, sure, I'll change it. And what I, what I, what I meant was – like, let's still leave Philadelphia at this time early, you know, relatively early, and then um, get to Atlanta and then connect and then get home early afternoon. The way it was changed was I'm not leaving Philadelphia until 1.15 Eastern. And so I was like, okay, last night I was like, uh, all right, um, that's fine because now I'm going to be able to watch the World Cup. So I'll get up in the morning and I'll take a, 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 I'll take a car to the airport, get settled in at the Sky Club, and I'll watch the World Cup final there and it'll be fine. Needless to say, I slept later than I should have, and that, that was a mess. So I watched the first pass, first part of the match in my hotel. Then I get in the car, go to the airport, I'm watching on my phone. As everybody knows at this point, Argentina's up 2 nothing. all right? And it's like 2 nothing in the 75th minute when I get out of my car at the airport. As far as I know, can tell, the, 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 the match is over. So I, uh, Messi gets his World Cup whole thing. So I get out of the car, you know, go through, check my bag, go through security, and I see a mother and these three little kids, and um, they're sort of hanging out. And the, one of the little kids has got a messy jersey on. They're all staring at their phones. And one of the like, little kids, he's probably, I don't know, nine or ten. He's got a messy jersey on. And I don't usually talk to people um, but uh, that I don't know. I don't, I don't initiate conversations um, too often. And so, but, but I was like, I don't know. It sort of made me smile. This kid had a messy jersey on. It was this big moment. And I walked up to this kid. I swear to God, this is true. And I fist bumped him and I said, Hey man, congratulations. That was, that was, that was really something. And he, he goes, what? And I was like, congratulations on the world cup. I, I assumed you were a messy fan. He's like, I am, but it's tied two two. I said, what? He said, Mbappe scored twice in two minutes. I said, what? What? So I hurry into the sky club and settled in with a bunch of strangers. And it was action packed from that point forward. And I was like, I mean, it's getting time. You got to go get on the plane. And I was like, I don't want to. I want to watch this live in this yeah. setting. And I was, you know, if it would have, if, if, if we'd had extended PKs, I'd have been in trouble. I made it. But I tell you, that was that I had about as much fun watching that extra time and those PKs as you can have watching a sporting event. It was incredible. Just an amazing Sunday. Um, I had uh, so. Uh, Argentina in the quarters my I don't know my kids wound up catching the game when that was getting played and they just liked the way Argentina's uniforms looked and so they started rooting for them in that match out of nowhere which was awesome and fun to watch and so they became Argentina fans in the past you know 10 14 days here and they got up to nothing and then the plan was for my wife to take my boys to go to uh, her sister's house uh, about 30 minutes away and just do make cookies on Sunday because the bears stink. I'm like, well, I'll just stay home and do some work, watch the bears or whatever. So once Argentina got up to nothing, they were like, let's just go. And so I was home, brought out the workout bike, brought it into the living room. I watched, I'm watching the world cup. I am yelling at the tele. I'm like doing my workout. I'm, I'm home alone. I'm yelping multiple times at the second half. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. I finally get done 
I think I got done my workout just as this was going to extras. And then once you even get to extras, like everyone, you know, most people listening, they know how it played out. But the fact that you had Mbappe get a hat trick, Messi validate, it was, man, oh, man, oh, man. I'm not even a huge soccer guy, but th- like that is the the pinnacle. It's the apex. It Sports can equal that. I just don't think it can be better than that. When you have arguably the greatest soccer player of all time, and maybe the guy who will be next in Mbappe, and they both show up, they both score, they play wonderful games, they both hit their PKs there, in some ridiculous, ridiculous stops. Ridiculous tackling, goal-saving, both ends, Argentina wins, phenomenal, phenomenal. Just, I, it was it was so rewarding, and yet um, my boys were watching at... Uh, at their aunt and uncle's house there because uh, they got there in time to watch. I think they got there in time at in the middle of extra time, and then they watched the PKs there. Uh, I wish I had been watching with my kids because they they were, like, genuinely excited. And I actually recorded it. So I think we're going to re-watch the ending of this either Monday, Tuesday, because they want to do it. But uh, we're College Hoops podcast. I just couldn't get out of here without at least acknowledging what was just an unbelievable uh, World Cup final. You know, uh, Jenkins to beat Carolina, buzzer beater. It's one of the like highlights of my professional life, and it's one of the greatest uh, games in American sports in the past decade, if not longer. Uh, this one was even beyond that. When you just consider the worldwide stakes and literally billions of people watching, right? It, it, it feels like the entire psyche of Argentina and France are just are just swaying back and forth and Mbappe scoring when he did like just, I don't know, just an incredible, incredible match. And it made uh, it was an awesome Saturday for college hoops and for the NFL. And then on Sunday with that World Cup final, and then even like the Raiders winning the week. Oh well, yeah, that was ridiculous. Like, it's just—it's been an awesome weekend. Like just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff there, and really good vibes as we as we head into Christmas. All right. Speaking of kids, can you hear mine? I cannot. I cannot hear yours. I can say this: I'm at five percent battery left on my computer. We're gonna get <laughs> out of here, but it was—it's—it was getting here. I cannot hear. I cannot hear your kids. We got a slow Monday. Tuesday's got a couple of games. Duke at Wake, Virginia at Miami, Marquette at Providence. I think those are the three to watch on Tuesday. They're halfway interesting, but it's kind of slow. We'll have some stuff on Wednesday or Thursday. But if your kids are causing a storm, Dude, you can get the hell out of here. They've been yelling for 30 minutes. I don't know what's happening outside this door right here. I have a door right here, and I don't know what's going on in that world. But it is like kids out of school, obviously, Christmas week. And uh, they are fired up about something. I, I have not. I'm glad you haven't heard them because it suggests nobody else has. I haven't been. I, I've been hearing them nonstop for an hour. I have texted three different times. Can somebody please quiet those little guys down? And um, I'm not sure anybody listens to me. I'm not sure anybody's. I don't. I'm not sure anybody's paying. How you think these bills get paid? Okay. How you think these bills get paid down there? Let daddy work. Let Daddy get off this podcast. Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Huck. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Over to Apple, leave a nice review. Five stars. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. That's undeniable, and it needs to be reflected in the comments. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please knock that out, and we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Oh, I can't wait. Looking forward to it already. Till then, take care. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my soul. I'm 
citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.